Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Mbile Nath. She is a spiritual business coach and serial entrepreneur. How are you doing this morning, Mbile? I am doing great, Brad. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey with us. I appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate you. Thank you. And it's a great honor and pleasure to be part of this. So let's jump right in. You are a spiritual business coach, a serial entrepreneur, a spiritual teacher, an international speaker. That's a hell of a lot of hats you wear. How do you find the time for it all? And how do you prioritize? Well, firstly, all of those hats don't get worn at the same time. So the speaking opportunities happen when they happen kind of thing like today. In terms of everything else, I think because it's just a part of my business and what I do in terms of being a certified coach, I'm also a tarot reader and energy healer. And all of those three work, I was going to say flawlessly as part of my business because it's just everything that I do. So how do I find time for that? I think when you make something a priority and it's important to you, then you make the time available. You do what you need to do. And especially in terms of the business, you do what you need to do. So in terms of, you know, getting the clients booking, making sure the clients are being nurtured, making sure other things are happening, you need to have systems in place. And I'm sure every entrepreneur and person you've spoken to will say they've got certain systems in place, whether that's automated or whether that's actually people helping and working with them. But you need to have some kind of support that keeps your business going. For sure. It's interesting to hear the different systems that people have in place in order to prioritize their tasks on a day-to-day basis. I am a pen to paper person. (laughs) Um, Me too. I I love it. I, I think when I'm writing, I tend to, maybe it's that I absorb information quicker or that the flow is there and more information may come out depending on what I'm doing. But I also have a very technical background. Right. I was in management consulting, so I have a very IT kind of based background. So I don't hide away from systems. And I have a wonderful color-coded calendar, (laughs) which tells me all of the stuff that's going to be happening in the day and the color coding highlights whether it's a business thing whether it's a you know informal chat whether I'm spending some personal time whether you know whatever it's really so quick and easy for me to kind of go oh okay this is what I'm doing now because I sometimes don't even need to see the text against it the color just makes it obvious yeah. And then I'm like, okay, I need to make a note of that one or I need to follow up on that one. So, yeah, so my color coding system definitely helps me to prioritize my day. But as I said, every day I am a pen to paper person. So every day I will write out the priorities for that day. Mm-hmm. And then out of those priorities, which are the two that absolutely have to be done? Right. Absolutely have to be before I go to bed yeah. and then yeah. make sure those are the, you know, the highest of the priorities. And then anything that I'm not able to do because life happens, mm-hmm. technology happens, as we discussed before, <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> it gets carried on to the next day. I, I don't kill myself over something. Yeah. So it's always two tasks that are at the top of the list that must, there must be done for each day. Yes. Okay. Because they'll either be priority for that day. Right. Or they will be priority for that month, which I've just been, and I'll own up to it. Right. Just been kind of passing it down the line because you weren't, you know, right at the top at the beginning of the month, but because of other things that have taken over, sometimes Mm -hmm. things end up sliding. Mm -hmm. So yes. So for me, because 
knowing that you've completed something i don't think it's so much the number because i think people get hung up on the number they get yeah. hung up on the checklist of i tick this off i tick that off yeah. but it's more about that feeling of i've completed something and right. and it could be a little thing but yeah the priority stuff is actually the bigger projects the bigger stuff that you might need to do so getting those off your list just gives you a great sense of achievement that's right. It feels good to complete things. It, it's, mm. yeah, like a sense of achievement for sure. So you briefly alluded to a great segue here. What were you doing for work before making the jump into entrepreneurship? God, I worked for the corporate world. Okay. And I was in management consulting. I had two corporate jobs before I went into my own business. So the first one after I graduated, I got into middle management by the age of 25. So I was managing quite a big operational in the telecoms business. And that helped me to, the mentors I had, helped me to learn a lot about business. Yeah. Or the realization that it's not just one hat. Because as an employee, we go in and we're just doing one job. Right. And that's all we worry about. We don't really get into the strategy. We're not part of the vision of the you know, business, unless, of course, you're a director or something. But most yeah. you know, levels, you're just focused on your own business. But I was fortunate where I was that I got to see the upper level of what it takes to have a business because I was in the operational part and that's the hub of the business. So then all of a sudden I got introduced to sales, marketing, accounting, all of those key areas not needing to do the jobs, but just the integration of how everyone works together to, you know, give the end result. So that was amazing for me to have in my early 20s. Then I moved on to management consulting. So within that, I was also a business consultant, where we used to go into multinational corporations, look at their processes across the whole of the world in terms of their HQs. And basically put systems in place right from the beginning, right to the end of the supply line. So again, that also helped me, but it was more around the IT systems. So taking the business background, taking all of the IT stuff and everything, it just kind of really helped to form that basis of how I could help myself in my business. So after I left the corporate world, I left the corporate world because after a while, I think you just get worn out. Yeah. And I became a number and it was just so much travel that there was no other life. It was literally just working, traveling, airports. And I think, as I said, priorities changed in life and I felt ready to do my own business. So I always wanted to, from the age of 19, I knew I wanted to be in business, but I just didn't know what at that right. time because nobody in my family was at that time in business. Okay. So there wasn't anybody I could actually go to or tap into or talk to or, you know, get guidance from. Yeah. So I think that's why I followed the generic route of going into corporate jobs after graduating and then just kind of, yeah, forming life from that way. That's what we're taught and that's what we're conditioned to do, right, is go to school and then you get out and you get the good paying corporate job with benefits and and that's it that's life every day exactly but also my parents mindset from the people they had seen in business was that it's hard and you don't have a guarantee of income so for them and of course the people you're surrounded by having a job gives you that security yes because they came from a world where a job was for life it's not the world we're now living in. No. So they came from that mindset that a job equals security. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, uh, like yeah. you said, you stay at that one job for the rest of your life. You retire there. You get the watch and all like these 25 years, these milestone gifts for being with the company for X amount of years. And that's mm -hmm. just it. That's just the way it was. And that doesn't exist in our world anymore. No. So, no. Um, but yes, so that that's, I think, the kind of mindset. I won't say I 100% took their mindset, but definitely following was easier than thinking of what I wanted to do, only because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Well, let's be honest, at 19, most don't know what they want to do at that age anyways. I mean, it's funny, I think about this because my kids are now 20 and 22 and these kids at 18 finishing high school are expected to know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And yeah. as you said, things have changed. 
since we were kids I and mean, since our parents were kids, but there's still that pressure there that you've got to figure out what you want to do. You got to have an idea of what you want to do. And at 18, I think that's a lot of pressure to put on a kid. I think it, it is. But again, it's that such, I'm going to base it on Victorian mindset, right. where by the time you hit 18, you're an adult. So therefore, yes. you need to behave like an adult, you need to take the responsibilities on as an adult. Yeah. I mean, we're now reaching what 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, still trying to figure out what it is that we want to be um, doing in our lives. Yeah. And a lot of it is academia worldwide hasn't really changed. The syllabuses may have in terms of, you know, the history, education, whatever, but the way the mindset and the thinking that hasn't changed. So the general, because we have it in the UK as well. That, you know, when you're about 14, 18, you're meant to have it all figured out. You're meant yeah. to know when you're going to university, which career path you're going to pick. Yeah. Because that's going to be sustaining you until the day you die. And you're like, I don't know what I want to do. And you put so much fear into kids because they feel they need to have it all sorted. Yeah. I talk to so many of my clients who are younger and they're like, I don't have my life sorted and I'm reaching 30 and I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is nothing that is nothing no. but they feel they should have it all you know everything yeah. all the expectations ticked off yeah well I think the education system is very bro- I don't know about the UK but here it's broken I don't yeah. think that the curriculum the things that they're teaching the kids are useless they need yeah. to teach them life skills and managing 100%. money and and things and career paths and things like that these classes and and stuff that these kids are taking are useless yeah completely agree I'm completely on board with what you know what you're saying I don't think everything needs to go but they do definitely do need to introduce more life skill based yeah classes as well because an overhaul is needed for sure yeah yeah, yeah, 100%. So, well, I don't I don't see it happening in our lifetime. I mean, I think they're just happy with the status quo and let's just keep it this way and it's too much work to overhaul the educational system and again, these beliefs that you well you have to go to university in order to succeed in life and I think is complete bullshit, complete bullshit. Again, it was what was done in previous times. Right. So, yep. it's none of it is bullshit, it's just an evolving yeah things are different yeah because back in the day when my father was younger then to get a better paid job to get a you know security university was the path and that's what you aspired for because you knew you would be able to have a better earning better lifestyle for your family and everything whereas now you can make there's so many more opportunities available to us there's so many ways of succeeding, making money, doing so many different things that weren't available then. So I think it's just looking at it from a point of view of this is just evolvement as opposed to things, you know, still being bad. Right. Very true. So for you, Ambila, what was the transition like from corporate into entrepreneurship? It was shit. Am I allowed to swear? (laughs) Sorry. Yes, yes, you are. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be honest, it was. Because no one told me, nobody was around to tell me how hard it was going to be and how lonely it was going to be. And that you would have to wear 30 different hats all at once trying to juggle because the internet was just getting started. Well, it wasn't just getting started. It was there. But in the sense of so many experts being available, so many experts sharing their knowledge, that's probably only been around for the last, I don't know, less than 10 years. Yeah. So I was just at the cusp of before that, you know, thing started and people were not willing to share. People were not willing to guide you or help you or show you. So my path, which is one of probably the reasons of me doing what I do, was probably a lot more longer than what my clients are facing because I'm able to give them that guidance and save so many years of wasted time, learning skills, learning stuff that they probably actually don't need to and showing them systems and showing them cost-effective ways. Because I think um, the other thing mindset I came with was that you had to have an office, you had to have a team of people, you had to have phone systems in place, you had to have all of the bells and whistles of, you know, being in business. 
before you'd even got your first client. So yeah. think of the money, the cost of setting all of that up before you've even got your first client. It's like, oh my God, what the hell? Yeah, it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And, you know, and that's even before you get a chance to pay yourself a penny for anything. So it was really a switch in terms of thinking, oh my God, how can I make this work? And it was just a huge, tough learning curve. So it took me probably five plus years before I thought, okay, I think I've kind of got to grips with what it is that I'm doing. And I actually, the reason why I say serial entrepreneur was that even though I qualified as a coach in 2003, UK wasn't aware of what coaches were. They were in the corporate world. So if you wanted to get team building and stuff, but they weren't in the personal world. And I remember going to, you know, potential clients and stuff, and you could see the walls and everything coming up and the automatic, you know, sign on their forehead. There is nothing wrong with me. I am not mental. I don't need to be in a mental asylum because that was their interpretation of a coach. Yeah. So I transitioned, actually. I thought, oh, God, I'm not going to make any money. So then I went into doing interior design. Wow. (laughs) From coaching to interior design. (laughs) Why not? Yeah. I had a passion for it. I could do it. And the thing is, in life, one thing I have always guided myself by is the skills I have and not the labels of the title jobs I've carried. And it's those skills that have allowed me to be the serial entrepreneur because then I'm not set by any sector. I'm not set by any one thing that I need to do in order to succeed. So the interior design actually came about because, yes, I had all the business skills. I love decorating. A lot of my friends were, you know, seeking my advice on it and everything. And I thought I can make money. There you go. I love that. Therefore, I did a online course, you Mm -hmm. know, just to really, and of course I got books and everything else. So I did a lot of the research. I did the basic understanding of schemes and at a level where I could give proper consultations, not because I didn't understand colors and what goes and styles and stuff. But I just wanted to, I suppose, for my own knowledge, give a little bit more professionalism. So I did all of that and I landed my first client and he stayed with me and was absolutely amazing for years until I decided I needed to let go of interior design. And back into the world of coaching. Yeah. And I realized only a couple of years ago how my mindset was working because it was working on the employee mindset that you could only succeed at one thing. Right. So I had a lucrative interior design business, which then went on to events business because the coaching still wasn't 100% there. And I packed both of those in because I believed at that time that I couldn't have multiple businesses. I needed to just concentrate on coaching because that's what I aspired to be, even though I was doing all of that, the coaching stuff in the background. Right. I just was doing it more as a hobby. And now I think about it and think, oh my God, why didn't somebody actually point that one out to me? <laughs> so what, what yeah. was the shift in mindset that kind of, for lack of a better term, woke you up to that? I think it's a lot of inner work. And I think it's when you're ready to actually see things. Because the fact of me adding the spiritual part in front of the business coach is that, as as I said before, I'm a tarot reader, energy healer. So alongside doing the interior design event business, I was opening up to my intuition. I was beginning to learn the skills of spirituality, i.e. psychic abilities, whatever you want to call them. And that was a side business. I was making money from it eventually. But it wasn't an intention that I had set out to make money from it. I had set it out because it was just a way of meeting new people, doing something that might interest me. And I think along somewhere along those that kind of journey, I think it was around about my eldest sister passed away in 2017 due to cancer. And there was a lot of mindset changes that happened after she passed that triggered a lot of the great stuff that's going on now. And I think I did a lot of personal development. I'm always doing personal development, but that Mm. particular time. And that's when I had that realization of literally wanting to hit myself over the head with a frying pan. Go, (laughs) you let go. The universe was giving you so much income, so much money, and you closed the door on it because 
of the mindset I had grown up with that you can only succeed in one thing. And I was just like, what? Why didn't somebody <laughs> tell me that before? Why didn't somebody point it out? Yeah, That's what I was exactly. doing. Because for me, my behavior was completely justified. It was completely normal. And all of my friends, because we all come from the same mindset, nobody questioned it. Nobody thought I was you know, being stupid or this is what you're doing. Do you not realize it? They were like, yeah, no, completely understand. You can only do one thing at a time. So yes, yes, what you're doing is absolutely, yeah, fits in with what we understand. So there was nobody, absolutely nobody in my life that pointed that out to me. That realization came via me. So it's just like, oh God, only if it's a hard lesson. It's a very hard lesson. But now you're sharing that knowledge through your experiences with your clients so they don't go through the same experience. Exactly. Which is great. And this all goes back to what you're saying earlier about how people weren't sharing. That's shifting. And I've noticed that as well. A lot more people are more open to sharing and helping others. And it's an amazing thing. There was a guy I worked with when I was working full-time for another company before my corporate job. And this gentleman, I worked for an audiovisual company and we set up video walls for corporate shows and concerts and things like that. And this particular gentleman that worked for the company, it was a small company. There was, I think, including the owner, there was about eight of us employee, like full-time employees. And this particular gentleman had been there for a long time and he was very, very guarded with what he knew. And he was the only one in the company that could do what he did. And he didn't want to share that knowledge. It used to bother the hell out of me. He used to think, what the fuck? Like, just share the knowledge. And I mean, what if you can't be there one day or you can't be there for a week or whatever the case may be. And albeit on that hand, yes, that makes sense. But on the other hand, I kind of see where he was coming from as well when I thought about it. And he was worried about someone taking his job and but that no one was interested in taking his job. We just wanted to be able to help the company. If something happened, this guy couldn't make it for a show that we were doing or but he he just would not share the knowledge, just refused. And again, that is so normal. Yeah. I mean, I think even now, if you go into companies and stuff, I'm not saying that people are like that, but it is that mindset of if I start sharing too much, then yeah. it means that somebody else can move up and yeah. take over my you know, job and I might get due to something or other yeah. and be told to make redundant. But no, I think... Because my first job was working in business operations and literally helping the business to expand. I went from a two-people team, so my manager and me, to a nearly, I think we were 30 when I left. And I was, you know, managing and I worked along every single department that was set up. So I set up the systems, I set up the processes, I set up the technology, everything. So I knew I was the one person in our team who understood all of the departments and how we worked and every single process. And I think that helped in terms of my mindset of sharing, because for us, exactly what you were saying, if somebody was ill, somebody not there, someone else could pick up that role and do the job because it was about the business. It wasn't about you. Yeah. So yeah, I learned that lesson a lot early. Yeah, it's it's that competition mindset. And I don't know, once you shift out of that, your whole world opens up and changes. It's it's amazing because, I mean, we all go through it. I went through it. I, I suffered from that competition mindset with my photography business. But once I realized and, and thought about it and woke up to the fact that, no, no one else is me. No one else takes photos the way speaking with my particular business no one else takes photos the way I do no one else has my eyes so sure I don't mind sharing knowledge and I'm not worried about what other photographers are doing anymore because no one else interacts with my clients like I do no one else is me and that's the mindset you got to get yourself into is that sure you have these skill sets but it's okay to share the knowledge and help others it's only good for everybody community is one of the most incredible things when you have that sense of community, everybody wins. So why not share the knowledge? Because no one else is you and not every client is going to be for you. But that's the thing. It's about the business owners, entrepreneurs, you know, whatever you want to call them, realizing that. Yeah. As you were talking and you were mentioning the word competition, I thought 
oh my god but that's what we're taught yeah you're right marketing marketing is all about look at your competitors what are your competitors doing yeah they probably invented the word competition with you know <laughs> constantly looking at competitors yeah so therefore everybody is our competition because again probably goes back to what i was saying that you know earlier on that people didn't use to share yeah. so it's coming from that mindset that okay they're our competition if they're yeah. earning more than us if their branding is better than our website is more you know clients are more whatever they become a competition and you're thinking but surely you can just see what they're doing yeah and learn from them for right. what will suit you what fits in with what you want to do rather than feeling the negative of it yeah the threat yeah yes thank you <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking what is the word <laughs> yes threat rather than seeing them as a threat but actually seeing them as somebody you can learn from because yeah. regardless of how many years you've been in business you never stop learning and if you're open to it Mm -hmm. That should be something that excites you. I get excited by learning something new and I don't really care if the person is 30 years younger than I am or, you know, 30 years older than I am. Yeah. It's not about that. It's if they can teach me something that's going to help me and my business, give me a different perspective on who I am, how I can be, how I can improve then for me, that's all a good thing. For sure. I got into the mindset. It took me about a year and a half into my entrepreneurial journey, two years to get into that mindset. But I finally resided to the fact that my only competition is me. As long mm. as I can look back and see that I have improved and I have progressed in my career, in my business, in my skill set, all of that, that's the only yes. competition I have. Yeah, exactly. And also, how liberating is that? Oh, it's incredible. It's, it's one of the most amazingly freeing feelings, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thank you for actually saying that, because that'll be something I think I'm going to start incorporating into my coaching. Beautiful. There you go. So thank so, you. Oh, you're very welcome. So speaking of being a spiritual coach, Ambula, how and when did your own personal spiritual journey begin? I have always had an intrigue since I was probably a teenager. Well, from first recollection, it might be earlier, but I kind of remember it from teenagers where, you know, you get into astrology, you're reading your horoscopes, you're yeah. wanting to know what's going to happen in your life and stuff. And then that kind of progressed to me getting palm readings, astrology readings, then moved on to tarot readings. And I had that for, you know, so many years, just checking in maybe every other year or whatever, you know, how life's going. Am I going to succeed in life? Is, you know, stuff going to happen? And yeah. that kind of, because we're always striving and wanting reassurance that, yeah. you know, we're going to be okay. But my own journey didn't start until I started my own business because my um, personal background is that I'm an Indian woman in the UK and growing up, there's certain expectations that you have, you know, you're meant to get married, you're meant to be a wife, you're not meant to have any dreams. That's all of your, you know, husbands, not so much now, but when I was growing up. And so long story, very short, I <laughs> left my family. <laughs> Otherwise, this could be another chapter. <laughs> I left my family and um, literally walked out on them that they didn't know where I was and everything to start my new life. I have to say that I have reconciled with all of my family and have done for a very long time. And we have a very loving, trusting, wonderful relationship now. We've, you know, healed and completely moved beyond it. Right. So, but when I went through that part and I left my family, I moved to the area where I'm living now in the UK and I didn't know a soul. I didn't know anybody apart from the landlady that I was renting a room from. So around about that time, as I said, I was getting um, tarot readings, just checking in, seeing how life is going. And I met a reader and she said to me, oh, I'm going to be doing these psychic circles. Never heard of them. And I'm like, what's that? She says, well, I'm going to be teaching people skills on, you know, opening up to their intuition and stuff. Do you want to come? And it was summer, spring, going into summer. And I thought, something to do, way of meeting new people. And, you know, why not? Yeah. I honestly just took it with a pinch of salt. I didn't really think too much into it, apart from it's something to do and I get to meet people. So I started attending these and actually I started to enjoy them. And it started to open up my own intuition and my own guidance and my own ability of reading energy. 
which again, when I used to get tarot readings, I never thought I'd be one of those people. I was doing that for three years, I think, on and off. She did courses teaching tarots because that's what she specialized in, but she okay. used to teach us everything. So she taught us everything from mediumship to, I kind of drew the line at Ouija board and, <laughs> you know, other skills, crystals and you, you name it. She did, did everything, but yeah. she left it to us for what we were drawn to. Okay. And I realized that mine was related to energy and tarot is a tool I use. So I call myself an intuitive tarot reader. Okay. Because I'm reading energy. I could do a reading on you right now without needing my cards because I'm reading your energy. But sometimes having a tool gives other people that confidence that you have an ability. Yeah. So yeah, tarot is just kind of giving me that guidance and stuff. I also qualified as a healer probably around the same time that I started opening up to my spirituality but I never used that skill because again it was just like "Mm, I'm not really sure it's something you know yeah I can make money from or whatever so again when the just before the pandemic happened I don't know why but I just thought you know what let me do this let me tap into probably I think because my own skills as a intuitive psychic whatever you want to call us I'm really evolving and I was realizing certain skills have been quite enhanced. So I thought, okay, let's go into, you know, do the healing side. And I literally, before the pandemic, was solidly booked out for three weeks to the point I forgot to actually put in any breaks or lunch breaks (laughs) (laughs) because that was my management system. And then everybody cancelled because the pandemic happened and lockdown happened and But then I just went after kind of getting over the shock. I think everybody in the world was relating to, you know, lockdown. Yeah, for sure. I went, let me see if I can take this online. So I did my first healing online. Yeah. And the person gave such amazing feedback. She said it felt as if you were in the room with me. And I went, great, I can do this. (laughs) Because I know I can do tarot readings. Tarot readings I've been doing for a year, over years online face-to-face all of that yeah I wasn't sure about the healing aspect and it was flawless so yeah so that's basically how the journey kind of started in terms of spirituality and how it's evolved to where I am today I love it so what would you say is one of the most exciting or inspiring things about the work that you do hearing somebody say their life has changed because of something not from an arrogant point of view, but from something they've heard you say or something you've shown them or taught them or helped them to do. Having that, I think for me, that is the biggest payment. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Of course, I like the money. Of course. But that <laughs> is the biggest payment. Just seeing that energy, seeing that glow, seeing that, I suppose, that light in their eyes where they kind of start to believe in themselves and feel, oh my God, this can happen for me. Having been through that myself and not having had anybody to see that in me, being able to see it in somebody else, that's like, yeah, that for me is a huge moment. Giving back and having impact. Yeah, makes me emotional. (laughs) It's an amazing feeling, though, when you know that something you have done has given, has impacted someone and changed, whether changed their lives, whether it be small or big. It's one of the most incredible feelings I think we could ever experience as human beings. Mm, and it's such massive gratitude. For you sure. Just really do, yeah. So, in your business, do you specifically and only work with women? And if so, no. why have you decided to solely work with women? The answer to everything you have said is no. <laughs> okay. I advertise, Yeah. but that's not what I get. I have <laughs> probably more male clients and I'm, I, my jaw drops. Um, really? Because I, I'm kind of astounded. I think it's that assumption that maybe women are more open to the spirituality, so therefore understand it and are the ones who are getting the tarot card readings. So therefore, you know, that was kind of my mindset because that's me. And I couldn't remember any man I was surrounded by who, you know, openly said to me, I go and get tarot readings or go and talk to a psychic. So the assumption was it's women. So hence why you kind of market to women. And because you, you know, as a woman, I've been through your own journey and you think men aren't going to be interested. Hindsight is a great thing because I've had, actually, I have male clients who are, you know, just getting tarot readings with me, but also having coaching done with me. Yeah. 
So oh, the answer okay. is no, but I still advertise as women. Yeah. No, not limited at all. And okay. I'm connected to so many more men. That's interesting. Women. Yeah. Maybe because I talk about spirituality in a way that people can understand it. Because yeah. of my technical background, I was I was having to speak two languages, the technical for the programmers and developers, but then the user language so that I could explain to just the average Joe how to use the system or, you know, what was required. And I've noted that I've taken that same mindset and way of communicating within the spirituality realm. Right. So I'm rather than making it so out there that you kind of feel, oh, my God, because my impression of spirituality was, and by no disrespect to anybody listening to this, and I apologize in advance, but this is just me, that it was very much very hippified, very about dancing in the woods and, you know, all of that, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's not. No. And um, I think so, yeah. So being able to kind of give that perspective to maybe shift perspective rather than give that perspective, shift that perspective, like I shifted mine, yeah. I think is, yeah, being useful. And maybe that's why it attracts men. That's very interesting, though. Very interesting. Thank you. Now, you say the key to manifesting the life of your dreams, life you dream of, sorry, is knowing who you are. Why mm. do you believe so strongly in that? And how long did it take you to get into that mindset around that belief? Me personally or me as in a, a general? You personally. Okay. Me personally, it. I've been on this self-development journey since, as I said, from my first memory, yeah. could have been earlier, of 16, I think. And so I've been continuously doing some kind of work, mindset work, you know, physical work, whatever, on myself, have opening up that awareness from that age. And in terms of when did I get to that realization, probably in honestly, be, you know, laying all cards on table about a decade ago. Okay. Because being realistic, even though I'm doing all of this work, I'm still within, I think, yeah, along the time that I opened up to my spirituality, because I'm still doing all the logical work, but then I'm still blaming others and external factors for things not happening in my life. And it's when that shift happened, that's when I started realizing that it really is all about me. What is it that I'm doing? What is it that I'm not doing? How are people interpreting not so much interpreting but coming across what energy am I attracting into my life and why am I attracting that so those repeat patterns that we talk about you know why do they keep on happening to me why is it that I had all of this stuff you know before I got to leaving my family that can kept on continuously happening until you start to have people who can guide you or you know and it doesn't have to be a coach like myself that you pay for but because nowadays everything's so much on youtube your wonderful podcast that's constantly talking to people there's so many avenues of information that people can get to that realization quicker but until you start doing and having that realization and really questioning things going on around you but also what is it that i'm doing I think that's when, you know, the shift kind of starts to happen. And not everybody is open to that. I have so many friends I'm connected to who know exactly what I do, but they have no interest in wanting to shift or change their life, not to the magnitude that I have. Yeah. You know, they'll shift it in the sense of they'll move home or they'll change jobs or, but they won't want to do the inner work because doing the inner work means that you're opening up so many closets that you actually don't want to. Yes, for sure. And, yeah, you got to look inside. Yeah. And I have to say, I think, you know, one of the things that I do say to people is that all of my skeletons are out dancing with me. So, you know, I don't <laughs> I have that. anything. In... <laughs> no, but it's true because I've shared everything that I've healed with my family. Yeah. So we've had those conversations. So there's nothing that I've not put out to the world that hasn't been healed i love that <laughs> my skeletons are out dancing with me that's amazing i love it thank you i'm gonna write that down so i can use that as a post yes i, I think, think you that's should a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so i want to speak a little bit about women in business and the corporate world as well because i come from a corporate background i've seen and even now still that the mindset and behavior of that old boys club mentality when it comes to say equal pay for women 
women in C-suite level positions in these corporations. And I think it's absolutely horrible that this behavior and this mindset is still there that was in existence in the 40s. I mean, we don't live there anymore. This is 2021. I mean, yeah, we're starting to see a shift in mindset and a lot more women like yourself standing up and saying, enough, I'm, I'm done and taking on the role of CEO, becoming their own CEO and business owner. But can you speak to some of the adversity you had to overcome when you're first starting out? if any, and how you dealt with it? So when I was in the corporate world, and I was in IT back then, there weren't that many women in IT, even when I was studying it. I think I was one or two or three other women in about, what, 50 plus men. So I have always been in an arena where the numbers have always been, you know, women kind of less, men more. And when I went into the corporate world, it was the same in the sense that I was the only actual woman in middle management. Now that I think about it, I was surrounded by men and those men were old enough to be my fathers. Yeah. So one thing we have to remember is that the corporate world or any business world at this moment in time is still got a generation of men of a certain age who were brought up with that mindset or brought up with those ways of things being. And that's the way it was done. So it's always carried on. It's probably going to take us about another 20 plus years because it's a generation change. The shift is happening with a generation change. So until the top level changes where they retire, you know, are yeah. no longer choosing to work, then, you know, the next generation comes and they're the ones who start to bring in new ways of working and practice and everything else. It's a filter system. And you know, from the work that you do in the podcasts and, and the amount of people you've spoken to, changing somebody's mindset is the hardest thing yeah. you can face in life. Yeah, for because sure. unless somebody is ready and willing and wanting and knowing that they are ready to do this. You can't, no amount of asking them to listen to wonderful positive podcasts or, you know, taking them out onto lots of positive stuff is going to change that. Believe me, I have plenty of friends and I've been doing this since I was 16. So it's letting go of the fight and just be present in the movement. We're making change happen. Yes, it's not happening as quick enough, but men have been superior to women since i don't know dawn of zero yeah yeah women only started getting their rights maybe a hundred plus years ago when we were allowed to vote so think of the amount of time you've had in that superiority of being the head and women you know being less and think about the amount of time it's now going to change hopefully not from the dawn of zero (laughs) but for that involvement to you know keep on happening I mean I see the change in the younger generation my nieces and nephews so they're probably about two three generations below so yeah I mean from my own you know kind of experience and what I'm observing I think it's knowing that realization that yes, change is happening and we just need to keep on doing what we're doing and be thankful for men like yourself who are having that realization, who are helping us to have that voice, to be able to make this change happen and giving us that platform to do that. But I think it's the energy that you put behind it, the course, that's the important part. It's not so much, is it happening right now, but it's more controlling the energy. So you're keeping it positive so that things can happen quicker because the more you start to put anger and other things into it, then you're creating blocks and you're bringing more negative energy back, if that Um, makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, 100%. As you said, the shift isn't happening quick enough. It is starting. I I personally have seen it in the last 18 months since I started my journey with the podcast. There's definitely been a shift, but as you said, it's not happening quick enough. But again, you can't force these things upon people. They have to discover and come into it on their own. We just have to keep doing what we're doing. And I think we as men need to stand up and show solidarity for our women and show them that 
we are standing beside them and we do stand behind them and we support them and we want to lift them up and elevate them and help amplify their voices. And we just need to get more men on board with, with this type of thing and this mindset and just show women that, you know what, we're not all like these old white guys in the corporate world. Not everyone's like that. Not all of us men are like that. And that's all that we can hope for, but it's also real, having that realization that yeah. those men, you know, up in that corporate world, do come from a different generation and mindset. Yeah, for sure. Because you're not you're not going to change those people's mind. It's impossible. There is no yeah. way you will ever change their minds. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of kind of going, well, let's go for the next level of generation. Yes. Yeah. And if those people, when they step into, you know, the older shoes, then they will be the one who will, you know, start to kind of filter and feed that down. Yeah. So, the change makers. Um, Exactly. Because that's the way the world works. Yeah. Well, as long as we recognize that it is changing and it's time for change, that this stuff needs to shift. It needs to change because it's been far too long this way. So it's definitely the change is long overdue. Just as long as we're starting to take the steps towards making those changes, then it's progress, right? 100%. And Bila, what drives and motivates and inspires you to keep going, to keep pushing and excelling at all that you do? It's wonderful. The first time in my life I came across this word, a very close and dear friend of mine used it. God, I must have been early on in my working career with her. And she said, you are tenacious. And I went, what what does that mean? And then she explained it and I went, oh, yeah, I suppose I am. So I'm going to use that word. I love it. I'm tenacious. I knew from the age of 19 that Oprah says she knew from the age of, I don't know, eight or four or something. Yeah. I knew from an early age, maybe 14 actually, but 19 was when I wanted the business, that my life was going to be so much more different than my parents had envisaged. And I think that has been my inner driving force. I think that has been my guide to me doing and walking through it well not necessarily walking through but going through all of these challenges that I have gone through and faced in my life it's been that driving force that I'm not going to settle I refuse to settle for something that isn't going to give me joy and happiness I refuse to fit into what society expects of me because they're comfortable that's absolutely fine if that's what you know where they want to be so I have always always sought out people information learning growing whatever to help me to keep on evolving to get to that better thing and now that I am fully into my um, spiritual you know guidance system and stuff that evolving and really using that to help me to you know set that guidance in terms of what I need to do next but in terms of what inspires me honestly I'm very logical based as you know from my technical background yes so I have a number of coaches who I tap into and one of my routines it's actually now become a habit is that the first thing I do when I wake up is I will go onto YouTube on my phone And I will listen to something positive. I tend to just pick according to wherever my energy is. YouTube is now so integrated that it knows that, oh, she loves these inspirational people. So all of a sudden I open it up and it's got about 600. (laughs) All these recommendations. Yeah, exactly. So therefore, I don't need to sit there looking. I just kind of scroll and go, oh, oh, that looks nice. I'll fancy and I'll listen to that. So while I'm doing my morning routine, this is going, I'm listening to this. and. The experts and people I follow change. They change on a daily basis, but they also change according to what I need to grow in and what I need to hear. But my go-tos are Tony Robbins, without any doubt, Abraham Hicks, Oprah occasionally, but not top of the list, Jim Rowan and Wayne Dyer. And I also love um, Simon Sinek. So those and Marie Folio. So there's so many different people and even, you know, podcasts like yourself Thank that you. I listen to because I'm seeking that inspiration, seeking something that they are going to say that I need to hear today to help me to shift my mindset, to help me to keep moving forward. Because sometimes I'll wake up and 
everybody raves about once you know what you're doing and you're doing your own business you're going to be so passionate you're going to be jumping out of bed and it's going to be wonderful and all of that sometimes I don't want to jump out of bed I just hop out of bed or you know drag myself out of bed (laughs) but that's being honest and it's at those times that you kind of put those podcasts on or something positive and then you're like okay now I get it okay I need to get back into my head get back into my journey get you know moving forward yeah so having that support system and I also have amazing family and friends around me as well having that support system around you whether you know it's virtual in terms of the experts or whether it's also an integration of your community that is a thing that keeps me and my mindset moving forward what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful connection to people i think yeah. it's me seeing the soul of a person and not the title of a person from whenever I can remember. I have never, ever, ever. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't don't think I'm not going to be in awe if I meet Richard Branson or, you know, somebody like that. But I'm in awe of the person they are, not the title. And from the very first jobs I've had, I've never put managers, titles, anybody like that on pedestals that I couldn't talk to I've never looked at somebody who has and believe me I've had a cleaning job in my life as well and thought them anything less than a CEO because everybody is doing something to just put food on the table so to judge them on their title yeah it's not very humbling so it's been very much to do with connecting to the person for who they are and not necessarily the money they're making or what they're doing or how they're doing it and yeah and because of that I make very deep connections with people be they my client or be and I think that's the thing that really helps me in terms of the work I do you know in terms of being able to really get to the depths of my clients. Speaking of success how do you define that word what does the word success mean to you? <sighs> Good question I think for me 100% having you know all of the financial gains and stuff but I think it's more about stability in the materialistic things but stability in myself and my own being and knowing that what I'm doing and how I'm doing it is helping others but also me knowing that I can give what I want to be able to give in the sense that I have the systems in place I have the people in place I have things I need in place to be able to give back so that for me would be success having that sense of stability security to be able to do the work that I need to do. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? It was my first ever manager in a corporate job, of course, who said to me, always check your own house before you point fingers at others. And that for me translated to always check what you're doing, how you're doing it, making sure that anything lacking faults, whatever, has been healed, has been dealt with before you go blaming other people. So translated to modern talk, take responsibility for the crap going on in your life before you start pointing at other people. Don't throw stones if you live in a glass house. Exactly. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? I think the important thing I learned, well, my life before was that my sister was still alive. My life after is that she's not alive now. And the teaching was, sorry, didn't expect to get emotional. Take your time. Life is too short. Just do what you need to do. Yeah. What is your personal motto? I've stolen it from Oprah, but I'll take it as my I'll take it as my quote. Just focus on your next right move. That's all you need to do. What is my next right move? And then keep moving from that. Love that. Oprah, such a wise woman. Yes. <laughs> but then I'm sure she's taken it from somewhere too. <laughs> I'm sure. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Being able to Good question. Being able to give back to people and to make change happen. Beautiful. What would you say is one of your biggest life lessons or teachable moments? And what did you learn from it? I think the biggest life lesson for me was when I left my family. And the biggest teach out of that is knowing that no matter what life throws at you in terms of, you know, challenges and stuff, there's always another day. So you will keep on healing 
So yeah, th- there's always another day. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next group of questions just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. No worries. If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? I was going to say me, myself and I. <laughs> <laughs> That's what came to mind. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Tenacious. There's that word again. It is. What would your family and friends list as a couple of your best characteristics? Inspirational. These are words they've said to me, so I just want to put that out there. Inspirational, joyful, and somebody they can count on. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that one thing be? To love with your soul. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? What I want, God, rather than what I can give, because the the response was going to be what I would like to give. (laughs) <laughs> to others my god what i can buy i mean i want but can't buy oh can i come back to that one yeah sure what is one of your favorite entrepreneurial books god it was my first book that i read and it was by Ian love and zant and says a woman who can't remember the title i remember the subtitle i can't remember the actual title i think it was the seat of my house it's 40 okay. days and 40 nights is basically her one of her first books Okay. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? The hatred. What is your favorite stress-reducing activity? I listen to positive things. The last book or podcast I listened to or read was? The last, oh, just this morning. It was Les Brown. It was one of his podcasts. And we'll go back to that. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? It would be, okay, because I'm thinking of individual things, but I think, you know, to put them into a box it would be the continuous personal development so that I keep on growing. Okay, that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. If you could set up a billboard anywhere, where would you put it and what would it say? Oh my God, billboards, do they exist? Yes, they do. Okay, so any city in the world. Yep, anywhere. I would pick Barcelona. Okay. I love Barcelona. And what would the billboard say? Just focus on your next right move. Love it. What's the most recent investment you've made in yourself? <laughs> the most, the last one I've done so far is that I just brought a content calendar to help me with social media. Beautiful. What would you say are the top three skills needed to be a successful entrepreneur? Belief in yourself, confidence, and not giving up. You note I didn't use the word tenacious. I, I was just going to say tenacity. <laughs> strike (laughs) (laughs) what is the most entrepreneurial thing about you god i hope there isn't i suppose that the work i do the logic using logic otherwise i hope there isn't because i think in my perception of entrepreneurship is sometimes being closed off in a box yeah and i I don't want to be that person what's an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for leaving my family and having the courage to make the change that I did. That's a big one for sure. Yeah. Can you tell me about a moment when a person's kindness made a difference in your life? Where do you start? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go. There's just so many. I, I, um, it was, if I really think back, it was a high school teacher and I had left school and gone on to college and I came back for just a day visit and I saw this teacher who I liked a lot and she said to me, the best thing you've done is leave this school because now you are just brimming with confidence and belief. And I went, wow. That hits home. Yeah. What does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it? The same as I am today. I love that answer. Thank you. What do you do to keep yourself inspired every day and to inspire others? To inspire others, it's keeping in contact with the world via social media, but also all of my clients and people I'm close to and nurturing them. But for myself, it's very much what I was saying, listening to positive things. And if I'm not listening, then I'm on the phone to one of my friends who can give me a kick up the back to get (laughs) me into that positive state. So yeah. Accountability. Yes. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Just to say to her, the road may be really hard, but stick with it. You're going to be fine. Simple and to the point. Mm-hmm. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What would you say? Thank you for all the blessings you have given me, as hard as they may have been. 
because it got me to being who I am to then be able to make change happen for others. Love it. And Bila, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey with us. I appreciate you taking the time. You are a true inspiration, an incredible woman. I, I just, I appreciate you. I love your story. I love the work you're doing. And I'm just so honored to have had this time to sit down and have this conversation with you and learn a bit more about your journey. So thank you. I appreciate you. Brad, that's equal. Thank you so much for giving me this platform for inspiring me with so many wonderful questions and, <laughs> um, and for fully connecting with me. My pleasure and honor to do so. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast today. And my guest has been Ambila Nath. She is a spiritual business coach and serial entrepreneur. Thank you so much, Ambila. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you so much. And I wish you the same. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.